the teaching of grammar in the right way at the right time is extremely valuable and done in the right way, it does help with writing. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, this podcast is called Why Great Grammar Doesn't Guarantee Great Writers. Okay. It's a continuing discussion of the whole mystery, concept, phenomenon (laughs) of grammar. And writing. And writing. Because the two are connected, but... Right. Well, I think my first hit on this was many, many years ago, possibly before I even met you. Hmm. I came across that book, Enough About Grammar. Yes. By Joe Florin. And it was, gosh, pre-internet days. Mm-hmm. And it was an old book then. Mm-hmm. But the And we per- used to carry that. We don't we, anymore. We did sell it for a while. And I know that you got that book and added it to our product line before you met me. Because when I hosted a workshop with you and we had the book display and everything, you gave me a copy of oh, that did book. I? Yeah, so it was one of the first presents I ever well, got it was, from you. It's an enjoyable book. It's got a lot of cartoon-like drawings. It was written specifically for, I think, you know, adult professionals so that they could use but not be hindered by their concepts, myths, superstitions, fears, whatever, <laughs> about split, grammar. Split infinitives, dangling participles, these kind of things exactly. that we shouldn't ever end a sentence with a preposition kind of comment. Yes, and you know, I've used examples from that in my talks on grammar mm-hmm. over the years. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think more recently we came across this interesting research that was published in Mulroy's book, the War Against Grammar, right? which I'd love to sell, but mm-hmm. we're not going to. It's, it's very it's, expensive. It's very expensive, and it's very small, mm-hmm. but it's very good. And so evidently there was research done that showed that the teaching of grammar does not have a direct correlation on improved writing skills. Right. Okay. Whether students are learning it or not mm-hmm. is a completely different question. Got it. But this became a reason for marginalizing or in some cases eliminating the teaching of grammar. Mm-hmm. And that was probably starting 20, 30 years ago. Right. Yeah. You know. And yet... We see the problems of people not knowing grammar. So it's a paradox. Exactly. You know, learning it doesn't make you write better, but not learning it has other handicaps Mm -hmm. associated with it. So we, of course, make a strong argument that the teaching of grammar in the right way at the right time is extremely valuable and 
done in the right way, it does help with writing improvement in composition. So there's our two-point outline, in the right way and at the right time. Right. Well, probably addressing that first point, I recall something that Dr. Webster said to me one of the first times that I met him, maybe the second or third time Mm -hmm. that I went to Canada and um, learned from him. And he said he learned a lot of grammar when he was in school Mm -hmm. in Canada, which makes sense. It would have been the 30s, and uh, grammar was still very important, especially in Commonwealth countries. But what he said was, I could identify an adverb clause anywhere you could see one, Mm -hmm. but no one ever suggested to me that I actually do one in my writing. Oh, interesting. Sure. And I think when he had that realization, that was the beginning of his concept of a style checklist, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which was, oh, well, it's not. It's one thing to, to recognize something and identify it, but it's another thing to practice doing it. Mm-hmm. And so over the years, as he was teaching various grades and subjects and things in his kind of pre-PhD uh, period, he started creating these grammar checklists of things for students to do when they would do English composition, writing stories, reports, essays, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then that, of course, was expanded, formalized, published, and has become kind of at the core of his legacy and what we do at IEW. Right. And so this idea of teaching grammar... We, we say here at IEW, at the point of need, but also in the context of writing by using the stylistic check techniques, this is a great way to learn grammar. Well, absolutely. And, you know, I kind of make the joke that you can bang your head against the wall trying to get kids to identify stuff. And you think you've had enough repetition and drill and all that, and then they still don't notice it. You help them and require them to do that thing even a few times in their writing, and they start to recognize it all over the place. Right, sure. Like, you know, the child who comes and has a writing class, and I give them a list of LY adverbs and say, put one of these in your story. They do that a few times. Then they're going to grab whatever book they're looking at, and they're going to, to be excited because they'll say, Mom, Mom, look. There's L-Y adverb in the book I'm reading. Mm-hmm. Well, there have always been L-Y <laughs> sure. adverbs in the books they're reading. The reason they recognize that is because they're on the ownership mm-hmm. side. I own the idea of using L-Y adverbs. Therefore, it's meaningful. It's more in the front of my thinking about language. And this is true with prepositional openers and recognizing prepositional phrases. This is true with quality adjectives, strong verbs, uh, particularly becomes true with some of the more challenging concepts like participles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you turn to a grammar book, chapter seven, verbals, <laughs> participles, gerunds, and infinitives. <laughs> and nobody gets excited about that. Mm-hmm. Right. But you teach a number four sentence opener mm-hmm. and show them how to do it correctly, then pretty soon... 
they will recognize that and see it elsewhere. And then when they get to chapter seven in the book and it says participles, it can be like, ha, I know that. That's a number four opener. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, not all participles have to be openers, but in teaching it the way we do, it's very clear, very very limited in its complexity, really. And then there's that cross-application into understanding what you're reading, which is, in a way, the greater goal of teaching grammar is reading comprehension. Mm -hmm. So reading comprehension, correct written English, that's all, isn't that the real reason to learn grammar, not just to, so that we can criticize other people's? Well, you know, <laughs> self-editing. Sure, yeah. Clarity. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, one of the things that we know and one of the other paradoxes about grammar is that it, the idea of what is absolutely right changes. Sure. It has changed over the centuries, certainly. Mm-hmm. I mean, put in something that was written in the late 17 or early 1800s into mm-hmm. Microsoft Word, you know, a third of it will be green-lined because it doesn't fit the modern, more narrow idea of correct grammar. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, there have been some improvements. I think we can read Benjamin Franklin's autobiography and realize that, yes, there could be some improvements in clarity but not necessarily improvements in style. Mm-hmm. You can go all the way back to Shakespeare, mm-hmm. and you have that. Uh, it even you know changes within decades, mm-hmm. and rules that we maybe grew up with aren't necessarily rules, or they're rules that people have decided aren't really that important anymore. Right. And so we're always in that kind of point of conflict between, okay, someone uses this, it breaks our concept of what's correct, but is it really wrong? Mm-hmm. One thing that I'm sure you and I both have a little cringe factor is when people will say, well, Joey and me are going to blah, blah, blah. Yes. And you're you just like, no, you're supposed to say Joey and I. We know that. Mm-hmm. It's deep. It was drilled into us. But the people who say it, it doesn't strike them at all. Right. Uh, you even hear now, you know, young professional millennial age communicators on podcasts and in blogs even mm-hmm. saying that using the so-and-so and me mm-hmm. because it's become so colloquial. Right. So well, is look- it wrong anymore? Right. No. Well, yes, it's wrong. But, but, you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm a little bit of a grammar Nazi myself. But the thing that is that is irksome to me is when people will use I because, you know, it's you and I always. But when you use it in the objective case, it's you and me. Yeah. So she gave it to you and me. Right. Or between you and me. And you and me is correct when it's and the. And, you know, in the predicate part of the sentence right. or however. It's the object of the something. Object. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, people try to be correct and say, between you and I. And that's what makes him Well, I probably assume that you should always say you and I, mm-hmm. even in the objective case, mm-hmm. because the thing was so deeply drilled in. Exactly. I, I don't yep. think, honestly, I don't think... That was 100% clear to me until Mm. I started teaching Latin. Yep, yep. And in Latin, you learn about case, Mm -hmm. 
and then you translate that into English.、Mm-hmm. Whereas learning about case in English is very abstract,、mm-hmm. very difficult. So you know, I often tell people, if you want a deep level understanding of English grammar, don't study English; study Latin、mm-hmm. or some other language.、Mm-hmm. Uh, it was funny when I was living in Japan. I I made a couple grammatical errors, and one of my Japanese friends, who had learned all of her English in Japanese schools, asked me about it.、Mm-hmm. And so she's questioning your English, not、grammar. your Japanese. She's questioning my English grammar,、Got、and、it. I said, "Well, I don't know."、Mm-hmm. She goes, "But I learned,、mm-hmm. and then I realized this was just a habit of childhood. I had never been aware of it. If I was corrected, I didn't pay attention. But she had never had that colloquial way of doing things.、Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. her actual kind of objective knowledge of English grammar." In some ways, was more precise than mine, but of course, her ability to speak and write English was much more limited. Have I told you? Now, listener, if you have been around a while, you know my mother-in-law is Japanese. Andrew, have I told you that my mother-in-law used to correct my son's thank you letters because she just what you said. She knew written grammar. Of course, this did not encourage my sons to want to write more thank you letters <laughs> to their grandmother. So, grandmas, just let it go and be grateful. <laughs> you know, well, and we see kind of a new argument、mm-hmm. against rigid grammar、mm-hmm. uh, arising out of kind of the diversity argument. Oh, sure. You know,、yeah. we have so many people who learn English in so many different environments、right. and use it in so many different ways. Who's to say that one way of saying something is right and another one is wrong、mm-hmm. when it seems right to both of those people? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there, there is that kind of caution、mm-hmm. about it, and this goes down to the basic. Argument, which was settled a long time ago, should the study of grammar be prescriptive, meaning this is how you do something, or descriptive, this is the way people do stuff.、Mm-hmm. And so, at the university level, when you study grammar or linguistics, or you get into this area in a higher sense, it's already decided. Prescriptive grammar is not appropriate. Descriptive grammar. Is what we study, but at the same time, we notice that when someone says something, it can be confusing.、Mm-hmm. Therefore, we need clarity,、mm-hmm. and that I think goes back to Joe Florin's book, "Enough About Grammar."、Mm-hmm. Like, can you write and be clear? And there isn't always an absolute right way to do anything. And yet, so I don't want our listeners to. Get the wrong impression. We value correct grammar. We here at IEW, the Institute for Excellence in Writing, we do have a style guide. We do have a resource that we turn to when we don't know where to put the comma, or、sure. whether or not we use the objective case or the nominative case in a pronoun. Well, and I heard once—I don't know if it's true or not—that there were fifty thousand business writing consultants. In New York State alone. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so I, there's、yeah. obviously a lot of people、yeah. who are looking for help. Right. 
but don't want to come across as being pedantic. Yes. The the other interesting thing is we get, uh, I know you do too, but various kind of spam emails or solicitations or links to a website and you start reading it and the grammar is just off. Mm-hmm. They're missing maybe a plural on a word or mm-hmm. they're missing an article or they use the wrong preposition. And that would be really hard to know if you weren't a native speaker. Right. But when you read it, you think, ah, these people definitely are not mm-hmm. English-speaking people. They're mm-hmm. trying to sell me this product. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they're not taking the time or getting the resource to have someone put it into as correct standard English as possible, I lose a little trust in that mm-hmm. company. You right. Know, right. It doesn't mean their product isn't good or their mm-hmm. service wouldn't be valuable. But there is kind of the way we dress to communicate to people we care. Right. Right. So when we're well-groomed, when we dress well, that says to everybody, I respect you. I want you to understand that I care about whatever we're doing together here. Yep. And I think grammar almost falls into that same category. I we love can that, yeah. we can walk around in, you know, ripped jeans and old t-shirts and muddy <laughs> shoes. None of us do that here at IEW for the um, record. <laughs> but and it doesn't change who we are, but mm-hmm. it changes people's perception. Sure. So you can have old jeans and t-shirt grammar, but we of course have to err on the side, way on the side mm-hmm. of being careful and respectful and precise. And yet, even in-house, we have interesting arguments. Yes, we do. And and I do love the story about people who perhaps send you an email and say, oh, I'm so nervous about sending you this email because I might have some grammatical error. And you say... I write back and say, you're nervous writing to me. I'm nervous being me. <laughs> you know, if you have to sign your name, Director, Institute for Excellence in Writing, you you kind of do have to be more careful than the average person. Well, and I like this idea of caring. That's why we want to have good grammar, because we care about people. We want to be sure our ideas are communicated clearly and that they don't have to work so hard to try and figure out what we're saying. So we we talked about the what to teach a little bit. You talked about learning a foreign language. You talked about learning grammar in the context of teaching writing. Of using it, yeah. And, uh, of course, that's our structure and style checklists that we use. And then I also refer to our IEW style guide, which is our fix-it grammar program. So we've got, you know, years, six years of grammar instruction. So can we flip over to the when? When should you actually start a formal grammar program? Well, by definition, it is an abstract idea, right? So parts of speech Mm -hmm. are not concrete in a child's world. Mm -hmm. And so we have to teach these somehow. They can't easily be just seen, identified, and known because there are variables, Uh, especially in English, which being a non-inflected language means that we can have words that could be spelled exactly the same way and yet used as a noun or a verb, or even an adjective. And so it's not easy for a child to just look at a word and know what part of speech that is. Mm -hmm. So we try to define them. A noun is a person, place, thing, object, or idea. 
But what about when that is being used in a sentence as a verb? Or many times it can be used in a sentence as an adjective.、Mm-hmm. So that makes English grammar even a little more abstract than some other languages. That are inflected and have endings that are more reflective and consistent.、Mm-hmm. So I question the value of trying to do that at too young an age. And、uh, of course, there are definitions and things you can memorize and learn.、Uh, one of the more well-known grammar programs out there has. Definitions for parts of speech, and they kind of push this into the primary grades.、Mm-hmm. And yet, those definitions themselves are abstract, and the kids aren't necessarily locking to the meaning in in reality. I know this because of sitting in a class and saying, "Okay, the next style technique is a strong verb." Now, to do this, we have to know two things. Number one, what is a verb? Number two, what makes it strong? Does anyone know what a verb is? What's a verb? And you know, very often you'll get a, an enthusiastic child whose hand will pop up and wave in the air, and yes, and go, a person, place, thing, or idea, because they have memorized the definition for noun and cross-applied that、right. to what I'm talking about. <laughs>、right. So there's a you know a disconnect between、mm-hmm. the words and the Understanding or the experience、mm-hmm. of those,、mm-hmm. so I don't think that we lose anything by waiting a little bit longer、mm-hmm. to introduce the idea of parts of speech and how they function in a sentence.、Mm-hmm. And in my talk, but 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 what about grammar? I talk about the three divisions. There's inherent or inherited grammar. That's how we just know if something's right or wrong because it matches our database of language. Right. That being the most important. Then the applied grammar. You hear or see something, you know it's not quite right, and you know how to fix it. But again, you don't necessarily know exactly why it wasn't correct and why you fixed it the way you did. But you can do that,、mm-hmm. and that's. Generally, what is included on standardized tests.、Right. Then there's the analytical grammar, which is what are all those things called? What are the rules that govern their behavior?、Mm-hmm. And so, I think we can safely wait until, you know, the elementary grade three or four,、right. and not lose anything by waiting that long. Which is why, you know, we have targeted our fix it starting around grade four. And of course, you know, grade itself is a fluid concept、yes. because, <laughs> in most people's mind, it means approximate age.、Mm-hmm. But then, you know, you meet younger children who are more abstract in their thinking from a young age、right. and start locking onto ideas easily.、Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that every child that age should be or would be successful. Right. And then you get other kids who are just not even quite ready. Right. At that, they they're still just young, so you know, grade four plus or minus、mm-hmm. uh, is the way we would think about it. And then, you know, I think part of the the great history of Fix It is that it came from a very simple idea that was very labor intensive for the teachers. And over the course of years, we have tried to make keep the core idea. Add in connections with our style、mm-hmm. programs, 
uh, with our style syllabus and remove the time intensive factor so that teachers and parents and tutors and kids themselves can use it very easily. Yep. And so it's been a um, an amazing evolution yep. to see how that uh, happened and of course the work of many many thoughtful, experienced, enthusiastic and meticulous people. <laughs> yes, indeed. Indeed and of course I I would be remiss if I did not give a little plug for our Fix It Grammar in the context of this webinar. If you listener are interested in just seeing what it's all about, if you go to IEW.com slash fix and you will you that will take you to a page that talks about it and also a place for you to download some samples. Mm-hmm. And you can just try it out with your students and if they love it, get the whole program. If they don't, well, don't. But one of the things that you mentioned, Andrew, is the time. And what I love about our Fix It is that it is true. It's we say 15 minutes a day. I would like to say 15 minutes a day or less because it's very short. It's just very short lessons and they get the repetition while they have that motivation to find the things that are wrong and check the little checklist. And because oftentimes students are using this with our writing program, what they're learning in Fix It transfers into their writing because they're learning LY adverbs in their writing and they're identifying LY adverbs in their Fix-It Grammar book. And it's it's very controlled mm-hmm. in that we won't throw something at them that they're not prepared and ready right. to start analyzing and identifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in that way, it it's follows the easy plus one. Exactly. Which is really this the key to all artistic development and growth. I think one of the problems is people, they look at grammar and they think this is some kind of science. This is something mm. you can just learn, memorize, and know. Whereas if we look at it in a more classical approach, it's one of the seven liberal arts. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it's an art. It's something that you learn by doing and you have to practice over time and you can get better and better. Right. And there may be points where your understanding is in disagreement with someone else's understanding. Right. There are a couple Facebook groups that seem to attract people who are needing to have a lot of discussion about diagramming sentences. <laughs> and yes. I do not join in these conversations, but I occasionally find it very interesting mm-hmm. about a sentence that isn't neat. Mm-hmm. It, it's not going to be diagrammed in the same way consistently by different people. And to that degree, it's great for a conversation, but how confusing to a child. Right, right. Exactly. So I think part of the power of Fix It is we've refined this over what? 2007 was when the first edition was launched. This is now 2022, and we've just launched the fourth edition, and we think this is the best by far, and I don't think we're ever going to have to change this again. So about 15 years Mm -hmm. of development, um, Mm -hmm. and so we've learned a lot. We've got a lot of feedback. We know what works. We don't diagram sentences. And and we, we label and identify and parse and help the children do that task of figuring out 
Mm-hmm. Okay, what's the subject? What are the modifiers? What are all these things? Mm-hmm. But it it's much simpler mm-hmm. than the diagramming, yes. which you know, I think had its place for a long time. Mm-hmm. But just because it was the way everybody did it, a hundred years ago, mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's the best way to do it now. Right, right. Now, I just want to ask one more question. We're almost out of time. You mentioned, you know, around third or fourth grade, whatever that means. How many years of grammar? This is the when question again. How long should a student be studying grammar? Well, it kind of goes to the parallel question. How long should a student study music or mm-hmm. painting or mm-hmm an art, gymnastics, as long as you want to. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can start studying music when you're young Mm -hmm. and continue for your whole life. Right. Some people do. Those people would end up probably being attracted to classical languages or linguistic or editing. Mm -hmm. And I know that our team of editors has cumulatively decades, if not a century or more of experience, and yet there are still things that they keep learning and refining. But on the other hand, it is enough to have grown up learning music, and at some point you say, okay, that's enough. I'm going to go do something else with my time. Right. Uh, The good news is that if you did spend, you know, four or five or even six years doing a grammar program such as Fix It, you would know more, I would say, both quantitatively and practically more grammar than 99.99999% of all Americans. <laughs> this is true. So, this is true. Uh, you know, it doesn't take a huge investment of time to gain a pretty high level of mastery. Yep, great. Well, thank you, Andrew. I think our listeners will agree with me that learning more about this topic of grammar and where it fits in real life is super helpful. And, and we should apologize to any people who are hypersensitive about it, for the grammatical mistakes that have sneaked (laughs) into our conversation as we've been talking about it. It's a a beautiful irony, I suppose. (laughs) Yes. Indeed. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Here you can also find show notes and relevant links from today's broadcast. One last thing. Would you mind going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast? This really helps other smart, caring listeners like you find us. Thanks so much.